Right. Well, thank you very much indeed, Helen. That was uh, a lovely introduction. And um, it's likewise a great pleasure to be succeeding you as the, uh, as the president of the Aristotelian Society. Um, thank you very much, all of you, for being here um, on Zoom. Um, I do want to say in particular, thanks to Holly de las Casas, who's made all the practical aspects of this talk in these strange circumstances really um, very straightforward. And as Helen said, she's even booked me a room in Senate House, which I'm now sat in um, to avoid the delightful but um, slightly disruptive appearances of my daughter. Um, so it's a real honour to have this, uh, this role as president of the Aristotelian Society. And I'm, very, I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to give this address. As Helen rightly pointed out, it's a topic that I'm, the topic I'm going to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, is one that I've been working on, on and off for a long, long time um, in various different ways. But I've got the issues set up quite differently now, I think, at least from the closeness with which I look at them, perhaps from a distance, it's all the same old stuff. Um, and from my point of view also, the views I've arrived at are somewhat changed. So although there's certainly continuity in what I think, um, this is all quite new. So I'm really looking forward to taking any questions that people have by email and, and getting, getting around to responding to those and perhaps having, having a, an ongoing discussion about them. One final practical thing, there is in the chat of this, uh, of this Zoom a link to a handout. So I'd suggest that you um, follow that link and have the handout available. Um, if that blocks out my face, then all the better. Um, so that, that, that the handout's uh, the thing to follow. Okay, so let me get going. Um, we believe, I claim, and I think this is a, a fairly uh, uncontroversial datum, we all believe that the ordinary physical objects we perceive continue to exist unperceived. And intuitively, this belief is explained by the way the world appears to us in perception. That's to say, ask what makes you think things continue to exist unperceived. We're naturally inclined to say something like, well, that's how things appear. That's how they look. That's what seems to us to be the case on the basis of perception. But that raises a problem. How can perceptual experience present its objects as continuing to exist beyond that very experience of them? That's my question. And the way I'm going to approach it is to start with what seems to me to be uh, an insight, a great insight from Gareth Evans, it seems to me though that familiar attempts to implement something like Evans' insight, both in ways that I'll call post-experiential and in ways that I'll call pre-experiential, they're subject to objection. They fail, I think. I'm not gonna say a great deal about the objections to those implementations. What I really want to do here is present and defend an alternative approach. And the key to that approach is to recognize the role of Evans' idea in the metaphysics of perception itself. That's, that's the bottom line, that's the, the, the thesis I want to advance, that the way to understand the fact that 
our perceptual experience explains our belief that things continue to exist unperceived, is to recognize the role of an insight from Evans in the very nature of perceptual experience itself. So there are three parts to the talk. The first part is that I'll present what I take to be a datum and I recognize entirely that this datum has been subject to um, some skepticism and objection. I'm not going to say much about that and I'm not going to say anything about it here. I've written about it in other places. Um, so I'm going to start with that intuitive datum, say a little bit about Evan's insight and say a very little bit about its post and pre-experiential implementation, really to give you a contrast with the way in which I want to implement the Evans insight in my own uh, thinking about this. I'll then, in the second section, introduce and give a kind of structural argument for the view that I'd like to advance that I call perceptualism. Um, and then in the third section, I'll come to some objections and to some suggestions about how we might reply to those objections. Okay, so the, what I'm calling the intuitive data, and that is on the handout, the subjective nature of our perceptual experience intelligibly explains our belief in the continued existence unperceived of its ordinary physical objects. Okay, so there's a lot of baggage in that claim. I'm going to leave a lot of it relatively open. The subjective nature of perceptual experience, um, I want to understand that in a very accommodating way, roughly what it's like for us when we have perceptual experience. And the notion of intelligible explanation, I really want to be a placeholder for um, the various different views that I'm going to uh, mention and consider. And part of the project in a way, is to elaborate what sense that notion has in the intuitive datum. I mean, I take it, I'm, I'm assuming we have some sympathy with the idea that how it is for us, perceptually speaking, explains our belief in the continued existence unperceived of what we perceive. And I want to, um, part of the project is to say how that explanation um, proceeds, how it should be understood, and that will elaborate the notion of intelligible explanation as it figures in that datum. Okay, so on to what I'm calling Evans' insight. And this he, um, he, he presents in, in the course of discussing Strawson's um, thought experiment about a sound world and the larger Kantian questions about whether space is essential to the objectivity of our conceptual scheme. And Evans' basic thought is that we shouldn't think of existence perceived as a prior and entirely fully formed achievement and then agonize on the basis of that about how we get to ideas about the very things that we perceive um, the very things that we perceive existing unperceived it's rather that existence perceived and un existence unperceived have to come together and the way he helps us to see how that might be so is through this idea of a simple theory of perception. That's to say a theory by which we understand what we actually perceive and the course of our perception as the joint upshot of two independent factors. One factor, what is there to be perceived. 
Second factor, are meeting certain additional enabling conditions on perceiving those things, enabling conditions which therefore might subsequently fail to be met in such a way that we can make sense of those very things that were enabled to perceive when they are met, continuing to exist when they're not met. So it's this idea of a um, joint up shot between what's there to be perceived and our satisfying certain spatial and other enabling conditions, being in the right place, um, having the lights on, looking in the right direction and so on. Okay, so that's Evan's insight. And the thought is that in the present, somehow, the presence of a simple theory of perception, and I mean that to be an entirely kind of open phrase, the presence, somehow the question is going to be, how is a simple theory of perception supposed to be present in experience? The presence of a simple theory of perception makes it the case that our experience evidently depends jointly on what's there in the world and satisfaction of further in independent enabling conditions, conditions which may subsequently fail in such a way that we understand how the things that we perceive might continue to exist unperceived. Okay, so the question for the remainder of the talk is how we should implement that idea. How is it that a simple theory of perception is supposed to structure perceptual experience? And although not all the views that I think of as implementations of Evans' insight would take themselves to be so, and in fact, some I think would um, rather recoil at the suggestion. <clears throat> I want to distinguish two ways in which you might implement that insight to contrast with my own. One, something that I've been quite sympathetic to in the past, I call post-experiential. The idea that the subject themselves of certain perceptual experiences has to bring to bear upon those experiences in a sort of reflective way, this simple theory by which they think of those very experiences as the joint upshot of what's there in the world and meeting certain independent enabling conditions, et cetera, et cetera. So there's the experience and then there's the second order um, bringing to bear of a simple theory of perception and in some way the package is what makes it the case that our experience is objective. I'm not going to give these arguments now but I've argued in other places recently that that approach is unsuccessful. It fails to capture what I take to be the intuitive force of the intuitive datum, namely it's the nature of the experience itself that explains the belief. Okay. A second strategy is to think of the role of an Evansian simple theory of perception pre-experientially. That's to say it figures in the subpersonal information processing by which stimulation at the sensory surfaces, which in and of itself um, is underdetermined by its objective causes, produces perceptual contents that are determinately of certain worldly phenomena on the basis of assumptions about which are the most likely causes of those stimuli 
So the simple theory of perception is in some way a, a set of assumptions by which the information processing is guided in its production of perceptual contents, which are thereby objective. And I have in mind here in the, the, the most beautifully worked out version of that view, Burge's recent book. Um, well, it's not so recent now, but Burge's book, Origins of Objectivity. Um, I, I, I'm going to say a little bit about what I think is problematic about that approach later, but not a great deal. So again, that's going to be a, a, a whole sort of class of strategies, which I think are unsuccessful. And I'm going to mention briefly what I find problematic about them, but certainly not present developed and, and fully um, satisfactory arguments against them. What I want to do instead is to suggest that there's a way of implementing Evans insight, which is neither of those, but has a lot going for it. And that's, I think, the best I can say for it at the moment. I mean, I, I'm not fully um, certain of any of the things that I'm saying. So this is how things strike me at the moment. I want to start with a way of thinking about perception, which I've um, been uh, developing over various um, writings recently and was, was, um, was a kind of prominent feature of my last book, um, Perception and Its Objects. So that's a view according to which a person's perceptual experience at a time is her conscious acquaintance from her position and orientation at that time and in particular perceptual circumstances with the worldly scene before her. Okay, that's a bit of a mouthful. The idea is that perceptual, perceptual experiences are basically a three-part, a, a, a two, sorry, a, a three-place relation. There's the subject, there's the objects of acquaintance, and there's the subject's point of view and perceptual circumstances, which I take to be a third relatum. So what, and this is not intended to be a causal explanation as it were, uh, the subject being in that place at that time in those circumstances is the cause of her having an experience whose nature is to be accounted in some other way. It's rather that the nature of the experience itself is her being acquainted with those things from there in those circumstances. That's what experience is on this view. And as you'll see, that view has the Evansian simple theory of perception built into it. The idea of enabling conditions, her point of view and, and perceptual circumstances that are met and may subsequently fail to be met is an essential feature of the nature of the experience itself, as essential as are the objects and their properties with which she's acquainted. And the thesis I want to recommend is that it is this, the fact that that is the correct metaphysics of perception, which explains how it is that how it is for us in experience makes sense of our believing that the objects we perceive continue to exist unperceived. Okay, so here's the presentation of a, what I call a structural argument for the view you'll see there are, there's a particular place where there's a gap in it and there are some highly promissory notes built into it. So it's certainly not um, full 
I's dotted, T's crossed, um, compelling argument as it stands, but it suggests the line of reasoning I want to develop. So first of all, assume that the metaphysics of conscious experience is one dimensional. That's to say, and this is just a term I've invented, it has no constitutive role for a simple theory of perception. So another way of thinking of it on this view, the account of the nature of perceptual experience focuses only on the world end of perception, as it were. There's nothing about the nature of perceptual experience itself that has any, gives any significance to the subject end of the perceptual experience. On that view, there seem to be two broad approaches available to, to, the, uh, the, to the, the developed metaphysics of experience that one gives. On, one, on the one hand, we think of experience as the presentation of some entities of some kind. And I mean that to be entirely open, mind-dependent things, mind-independent things, whatever your favorite um, objects of perceptual presentation are. On this view, you simply think what experiences are, are the presentations of things. On the other approach, you think that what experiences are, are to be given by the specification of certain representational contents that those experiences carry in some way. Third approach that I'm really just going to ignore for, 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 for now and for, for reasons of time, um, I don't say much about it, even if I were going to say what I can at the moment about it. There are views which are kind of conjunctions of those um, two approaches. Third premise of the, of the argument is effectively appealing to the problems I suggested there were with the post-experiential implementation of Evans insight. The idea that um, the way in which we account for objective perception is that we think we have perceptual experiences and we bring to bear a second order theoretical reflection upon their explanation and together that package gives us objective perception. I think that approach fails and I've suggested why but it's going to have to be an assumption for, for here. I'm going to say briefly a bit about three, about four and five in a moment. But four says that the relational approach to the one dimensional metaphysics of perception fails. Premise five says that the content based uh, approach to the metaphysics of perception fails as an account of my intuitive datum. Six says that conjunction, conjunctive views fail too. I won't say much about that. So we derive seven that this one dimensional approach to the metaphysics of perception is unsuccessful. So therefore we need to accept that the metaphysics of perception requires a second dimension, which introduces into the very nature of perceptual experience, this Evansian simple theory of perception. Nine, brings our attention to the fact that the view I proposed earlier does do exactly that, that constitutes an independently motivated, genuinely two-dimensional metaphysics of perception, and it implements Evans' insight in just that way. And therefore I suggest we should at least look further at that perceptualist view on which that fact that experience is as the object, object view OV says it is, 
is what explains the intuitive data. Okay, I just want to say a little bit now about a massive amount could be said about both these topics about what's problematic about one-dimensional presentational views and what's problematic about one-dimensional content views. And again, the one-dimensional presentational views, I think really Hume's discussion in the section of the inquiry, of the uh, treatise um, on, the, on, on skepticism with regard to the, the census, he, he has a one paragraph objection to the idea that the census might be the source of our belief in the, the continued existence unperceived of what we perceive. And I think he assumes a one-dimensional presentational view and his argument is successful against that view. The concern is that firstly, if experience is simply the presence of some things, experience could constitute the basis for an explanation of our belief in their existence only whilst those things are being presented. And if all the experience is, is just their presence, then the belief that it constitutes a basis for an explanation of is a belief only in their existence whilst presented. So Hume says the only way perception could do, the senses could do the job would be if you were presented with things whilst you were not presented with them. Presented with them because only then could you have a basis for belief in their existence, but not presented with them because you want a basis for a belief in the exist their existence unperceived. And that, he rightly says, is a contradiction in terms. And I think that form of argument is a very powerful argument against what I'm calling one-dimensional presentational views. Against the one-dimensional content-based views, I think they face a dilemma. If on the one hand, the content of the experience falls short of an explicit statement to the, fact that, to, to the effect that the objects presented or the objects of which one's uh, conscious in experience do indeed continue to exist unperceived, then some inference is required from that content to get to that belief. And that is in tension with the intuitive datum according to which it's the experience itself which explains our belief, not inference from it. If on the other hand, the content is supposed to deliver the full these objects, this object is square and red, and by the way, it continues to exist unperceived. That content is just served up as a datum or a, a sort of ungrounded assertion. And it's entirely unintelligible to the subject how it is that it's supposed to be the case. I mean, we're told by experience, I'm red and round and I exist unperceived, but we've got no understanding of how it could be that the things exist unperceived. And so that falls short of what I'm thinking of as the intelligibility requirement in the intuitive datum. Okay, so um, I'm aware that time is pressing. Um, and so I'm gonna just sh shoot through that there is in Burge a possible content-like view, which is two-dimensional on my way of thinking of things, that 
is a genuine alternative to the perceptualist view I want to endorse and needs dealing with, and I don't do anything here now to deal with that view, although I think there are problems with it. I want now to sort of say a little bit more by way of elaboration of the perceptualist view. So one thing I've, I've gestured at already, it's at the heart of this perceptualist view that the metaphysics of perceptual experience, how we characterize the nature of our perceptual experience has significance for the question, which beliefs our perceptual experience intelligibly explains. That's, that's an absolutely central um, idea at the heart of the view. I just want to bring out, first of all, that that commitment is absolutely central equally in, in the Humean um, attack on the idea that the senses are the source of this belief. Um, and by the light of the perceptualist, as, as is shown by the, argue, the Humean argument I just um, set out, by the perceptualist light, what's wrong with the Humean position is not the commitment to this idea that the metaphysics of conscious experience has significance for which beliefs it intelligibly explains, but the metaphysics that's offered as the metaphysics that does that explanatory role. And the thought is that the perceptualist metaphysics improves on that Humean metaphysics. Second thing I want to say, and this is really important and it helps make the contrast with the um, post-experiential views that I was mentioning. There's a certain sense in which the simple theory of perception is not the subject's theory. It's not a theory that the subject brings to bear on their experience. Okay, that's an overly intellectualized uh, account of our situation, it seems to me. Um, nor is it the subject's theory in the sense that it's a theory that the subject effectively instantiates and implements in the subpersonal processing that leads to their perceptual contents. It's rather that the simple theory is essential to the metaphysical characterization of what conscious perceptual experience is, what such experience is. And according to the perceptualist view, what the, the feature of the metaphysics of perception that is absolutely crucial to explaining our belief in the continued existence of what we perceive unperceived is what you might think of as, as its form. It's the fact that experiences are acquaintance had from a point of view and in certain circumstances. And that's the nature of the experience. Being had from the point of view and circumstances that they are is in a certain sense independent of the particular objects that the subject is acquainted with from that point of view and in those circumstances. But nevertheless, any piece of acquaintance, any act of acquaintance by a subject is acquaintance from some point of view and in some circumstances. And the being had from the particular point of view and circumstances that it is, I'm thinking of I mean, using the word form to capture that. There's the, what you might think of as the contents of the experience, which shapes, colors, objects we're acquainted with. And then there's the fact that that acquaintance 
is acquaintance from a particular point of view and in certain circumstances. And those are the two independent elements of the nature of the experience itself. And the thought is that, according to perceptualism, it's this formal character, the formal feature of the metaphysics, which makes our belief in the continued existence unperceived intelligible. So we're often, when we're interested in um, what beliefs we arrive at on the basis of perception, we're often interested in what I've just called the contents of the experience. I don't mean perceptual content in the representational content sense, but, name, but, but rather which objects and properties we're acquainted with. If I'm staring here at my, I don't know whether you can see it, red uh, water flask, um, the, the fact that I arrive at the belief that there's something red in front of me is intelligibly explained by the fact that my experience, as part of it, my experience, is an acquaintance with the redness of that very thing. And it's that fact about the experience which makes it entirely intelligible that I should arrive at the, the view that there's something red there. I'm acquainted with its color. That explains it. But the, 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 thought, the perceptualist thought is that the correct explanation of our belief in the continued existence unperceived of that bottle is absolutely not like that. It's not that the property of continuing to exist unperceived, which of course that flask also has, is likewise an object of acquaintance alongside its shape and its color. It's rather that any such acquaintance is had, and this is equally integral to the nature of the experience, how it is for the subject, from a particular point of view and in certain circumstances, features of the piece of perceiving I'm now doing, which might um, subsequently fail to obtain in, in, in a way that makes it entirely intelligible that that very thing should continue with its color and shape in existence, although I'm not yet, I'm not currently experiencing it. So um, the, the, the perceptualist account of our belief in the continued existence unperceived of what we perceived is in some ways similar to the account I gave of my belief in the redness of the thing and in some ways different. It's similar in that an aspect of the metaphysics of the experience is what explains the belief. It's different in that which aspect of the metaphysics of the experience does the explaining is in the one case, the object of acquaintance, the color of the flask, and in the other case, the point of view and circumstances from which that acquaintance is had, which is just as much a part of the nature of the experience as is the redness of the flask before me. Okay. So before moving on to um, three objections, I'd, I'd like to just really raise some issues. I mean, I've got some thoughts about these issues, but they're, they're not at all fully worked out. There's something, there's something kind of odd about the what we might think of as the metaphysics of conscious experience. There are two very, very different enterprises that philosophers get involved with that might reasonably be called that. On the one hand, there's questions about the nature 
of my perceptual relation with the world around me. What is my seeing this red flask? Um, and what we're after there is an account of the nature of perception, which gives something like a unified explanation of its subjective nature, its role in making thought about the world possible, its role in making knowledge of the world possible, and its role in controlling and coordinating my action in the world, something like that. And there we've got a menu of options that philosophers have considered. Sense datum theories, indirect realism, adverbial theories, qualia theories, various forms of content view, naive realist theories, relational accounts, various forms of disjunctivism. These are all, these are all the, the sort of menu of options on that debate that might reasonably be called the metaphysics of conscious experience, which conscious experience seeing this um, flask. There's another quite different enterprise that often gets called something like the mind-body problem or the problem of consciousness. And that's, an, a, like, that's just equally a, a set of debates in the metaphysics of conscious experience, where what seems to be going on is that we're trying to explain how to accommodate conscious mental states, either within or perhaps without an antecedently delineated conception of the natural or perhaps the physical world. Which elements of such a world are the conscious experiences of certain types? Um, and there we have all sorts of views like various forms of dualism, identity theories, behaviorism, functionalism, non-reductive physicalism of various kinds. So there's these two sort of projects that you might think of as the metaphysics of kind of conscious experience, but they seem to be very, very different and they have a different, a completely different range of options. It's natural, I think, um, at least this seems natural first at first blush to me, to think of what's going on here is as the division in a sequential enterprise. First of all, we carry out the first project and give an account of what category of entity perceptual experiences are. Are they um, having sense data before the mind that's caused by a physical thing or are they entertaining um, perceptual contents of various kinds in ways that are systematically explained by the world or are they cases of acquaintance with, 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 with mind independent objects and so on. And having got that categorical characterization of perceptual experiences, we then um, agonize over how to accommodate particular instances of, the, of that category in this antecedently delineated natural world. I just want to make two points to suggest that that sequential characterization may not be um, as straightforward as it seems. The first is really just to remind us that insofar as it's deemed necessary, the second project, the accommodation project, is wholly unproblematic, is, is wholly pro problematic, is absolutely not unproblematic. I mean, even if one has convinced oneself that there are identities to be had here, 
the idea that particularly that, that specific conscious conditions of particular subjective characters are one and the same things as just that as opposed to some other physical condition those identities are wholly unintelligible we can convince ourselves that they obtain but there's something baffling about them i'm not gonna uh, i mean of course that claim is controversial and people can convince themselves that things that are straight off the bat baffling aren't really baffling after all and there's a lot of argy-bargy to be had but there's something it seems to me right about nagel's claim that those identities are unintelligible we don't have a theoretical understanding of how those two roots could be roots to the same thing and furthermore it seems to me that the account of the first project that i'm recommending one on which experiences are effectively points of view on the world perspectives on the world of shaped and colored things kind of gives a diagnosis of that i mean there's one thing there's the shaped and colored worldly things and there are points of view upon those things the second are more like senses relative to the first things as elements of the domain of reference and so the idea that there are identities here is 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 kind of it's unsettling and, and potentially problematic. I'm not going to uh, say anything more about that. And there's no doubt a massive amount to say, and I haven't worked out what I think clearly about it. What I do want to um, say is that, and again, we can all convince ourselves that things that we thought were baffling are unbaffling if we try hard enough. But it seems to me that the answer to the first sort of project that I've been recommending actually is sufficient to accommodate experiences in the world in any sense in which that should seem to us puzzling. All we need to make sense of the existence of certain experiences is the colored and shaped things that these experiences are acquaintance with, the perspective from which that experience is, is had, and imagination to imaginatively adopt that perspective on those things thus we understand how there is in the world an experience of just that kind there's that bottle i mean you can do it now work out what my experience is like there's a red bottle it's right in front of me i'm looking at it in good lighting conditions there's a clear understanding in your imaginative adoption of that point of view on those things of how that experience is an element of the world that we all inhabit. All we need is subjects and the shaped and colored things that they adopt points of view upon. Okay, so the, the net result of all that is the thesis that if you really think you need to go on after you've done the first project and carry out the second project, you're going to have your work cut out. But furthermore, you probably needn't have bothered because the first project correctly executed will do all that's required. Okay. Finally, I just want to um, consider some objections and I'll do this relatively quickly, not to keep people beyond uh, the half pass that Helen uh, suggested. So a first objection, look, Bill, you tell us 
that the metaphysics of conscious experience is explanatory of the beliefs that subjects of that experience go on to hold. And the belief that you're interested in is the belief that the objects we perceive continue to exist unperceived. Why can't you just stick to the fact that, as you yourself grant, perceptions are cases of acquaintance with what are in fact mind-independent objects that in fact continue to exist unperceived. If the metaphysics explains the beliefs and the metaphysics is that experiences are acquaintances with persisting objects, then why isn't that job done? Why do you need to go in for all this Evans stuff? And I'd say three things in response to that objection. Firstly, the metaphysics according to which experiences are simply one-dimensional acquaintances with even mind-independent objects is inadequate to the phenomena because experiences can be experiences of this one and the same uh, mind-independent object from different points of view and in different lighting conditions and that view would count them the same experience but their subjective nature suggests that we should count them their distinct subjective nature suggests that we should count them distinct experiences so there's there's a kind of extensionality problem with that um, account of the metaphysics the second point is that it's being the case that the relata of acquaintance are indeed persisting mind independent objects needs some subjective justification. I mean, it's supposed to be an account of the metaphysics of my conscious perceptual experience. It's, it's, it's what it has to do justice to is how things are for me. So there has to be some subjective justification for the identification of the objects of acquaintance as persisting material objects rather than their front surfaces or sense data or anything else that people have proposed. And my claim is that that justification comes precisely from the formal feature that I've been stressing so much, the fact that experiences are cases of acquaintance from particular points of view and in certain circumstances. So the persisting mind-independent nature of the objects of relata is correlative with the fact that experiences are cases of acquaintance from points of view and in circumstances rather than just simple one-dimensional acquaintances okay i'm i'm gonna skip the second uh, objection um i'd make a i'd say a little bit about it in the um and the written version of the paper, but uh, it, it'd probably take too long to go into here. I'm just going to finally end with the last objection. And here I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm just really puzzled. I'm, I'm really puzzled. So the, the question is, well, look, Bill, you say the metaphysics of conscious experience is this, and let's even grant that you're right although I'm sure nobody does, but let's just suppose you all do. Um, what makes the possibility of the subsequent failure of these enabling conditions intelligible to the subject? I mean, that's what explains my belief that the things I perceive continue to exist unperceived. Simply stating that the condition I'm in is one of being acquainted with those things from a specific point of view, how does that help? 
And here I want to just stress the point that, and, and here in the, in the written version, I say the perceptualist is somewhat dogmatic. Um, the answer to that objection is that being a case of acquaintance from a point of view with that shaped and colored bottle is not a causal explanation of an experience, but it's the, it's the nature of the experience itself. And it's that fact that their nature of the experience, the conscious experience has these two independent factors, which explains it being there for the subject that the thing continues to exist unperceived. That's not to say that subjects need to be philosophers of their situation or need to have a fully worked out metaphysics of their own experience or need to have a reflective theory according to which their experiences are a certain kind. But what the metaphysics is supposed to be a metaphysics of is how it is for the subject. And so the structure of that metaphysical account is a structure of how it is for the subject. That's to say how it is for the subject is being acquainted from a point of view. That's to say how it is for the subject is certain things present from, from a point of view which might be different, which is to say one can understand how experiences of that kind um, give rise to beliefs that the things we're acquainted with continue to exist unperceived. I give an analogy with disjunctivism, but I won't do that now. And so I'll call it a day. Thank you.